Good morning. Does everybody have a copy of this sheet? If so, just put it away <laughs> for a few minutes, or put, just start writing on the back of it. So we will get to the diagram on this later in the message, but um, you could take notes. And I would just encourage you, as we begin our study in the book of Revelation, to start taking notes. Take notes of questions that you have. It's a complex book, but it can be understood. And so we want to uh, make sure that all of your questions are answered as we go through it over the next year, Lord willing. Hopefully, we won't have to go through the whole book because Jesus will come and take us home to be with him. That would be better still. So today marks the first day of um, our study in the book of Revelation. And before we actually get into the book, we are going to take a couple of weeks to sort of set up the book so you understand some of the things that are taking place in the book of Revelation. The book is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ because it reveals something about the Lord Jesus Christ that we didn't know in the Old Testament, we didn't know in the Gospels, but, but he is now revealed in a way that we did not see him or that nobody saw him um, uh, on the earth. He came the first time as a humble servant. He's coming the second time as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in this book, it reveals his power and glory in a way we would never have known had God not revealed it to us. So look, let's go ahead and start with the, uh, the slides if we can. Okay. So if you notice on this picture, I have a key. And over the next, uh, well, today, this is the only, this and the next slide are the only keys you're going to see. But next week, we plan to take up a study um, of the keys to understanding the book of Revelation. Some of you have read the book, and you go, this is just completely confusing. But if you get some of the keys to understand it, it, it becomes uh, clearer to you. So the first key, the first clue as to what the book of Revelation is all about is found in uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. So if we look at the next slide, um, it's, it's, there we go. In verse 19, we have three phrases that I want you to consider. Uh, John is looking and he's to write down the things you have seen, past tense, the things which are, present tense, and things which will take place after this, future. And so if you think of the book of Revelation, that's what it does. It looks back, it looks at a present time, and it looks to the future. Okay, That verse is the key, one of the keys to understanding the book of Revelation. So the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ is the heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Not only the creation that we see visibly, but the, that word worlds actually means ages. And so it's the, not only that did he make the worlds and time, but he also made ages, that is, um, within the time frames on the earth and after the earth, we see periods that are marked by a different way of dealing with um, mankind. So this means that Jesus Christ made the universe. He controls everything. He upholds all things by the word of his power and will accomplish all his purposes for his glory. Nothing happens on earth without his permission and direction. The Lord Jesus Christ is God, and he can do whatever he pleases. But whatever he pleases is always right, because his purposes, plans, and uh, will are perfect. And he will accomplish everything he has promised. So if there is a promise in the scripture 
it will be fulfilled. And we see the culmination of a lot of those promises fulfilled in the book of Revelation. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is the creator of all things. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the ruler over all creation, and he holds all things together and is preeminent, as Tom looked at last week, he is preeminent over all things. In Colossians 1:15 through 18, we read, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, we're speaking of the Lord Jesus, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence, that the Lord Jesus Christ might have first place in your heart and my heart and throughout all eternity. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the eternal God. He existed in eternity past and continues to eternity future. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. As we look at history, really, if you stop and think about it, it is his story. History is his story. And the Bible tells us that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. His plans and his purposes will be fulfilled. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the Lamb slain before the foundation or slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13, 8. And so as we look at God's plan, and that's really what we're going to look at today, God's plan began in eternity past, before there ever was time. And, it, and his plan includes you and me. He created us knowing that man would sin, he would fall into sin, and that the Lord Jesus Christ would come and die on the cross to, for our sins. Jesus is also the reconciler of all things. When man sinned, we were alienated. We had a relationship with God. When we sinned, we alienated ourselves from God and needed to be reconciled back to God. Our sin is what separates us from God. Man's sin not only ruined his own relationship with God, but he ruined all of creation. As beautiful as the creation is, as beautiful as the universe is, it's actually in chaos in comparison to what it was at creation. Man's sin ruined creation. And the Bible says in Romans 8.22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. All creation needs to be reconciled. That means that all things that are created, that's both human beings and all of creation, needs to conform to God's will once again. In Colossians 1.19, we read, It pleased the Father that in Him, that is in the Lord Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Those verses are talking about how the Lord Jesus will reconcile or bring the created world, the creation, all of it, back under his control and under uh, a proper form that it is not in right now. And then it talks about us. And it says, and you 
who once were alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. The goal of the Lord Jesus Christ is to reconcile us to himself. It is that we might have a relationship with God once again, that we might be in a right relationship with him. And what does he want of us? What what is his goal in reconciliation? That we might be holy, that we might be blameless and above reproach in his sight. That is his goal. That is what he has been working on uh, all through um, history. Who is Jesus Christ? He is our Savior and our Lord. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that's who he is. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. The Bible tells us that if you know him, he chose us to be in Christ. God's purpose is to populate heaven with people just like his son. He will not We will not look like him physically, and we will not share his divine attributes, but we will be morally like the Lord Jesus Christ. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, as we begin our study of the revelation of Jesus Christ, I want you to stop and just Think about your life right now before we get any further and ask yourself the question, do I know the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior? Have you ever come to the point in your life where you have said, Lord Jesus, I've sinned against God. I need a Savior. I need someone to save my soul. I need my sins forgiven. And he is willing and able to reconcile you to God by his blood, the blood that he shed on the cross for your sins. Be reconciled to God. If you are a child of God, then you can take comfort in this truth. Truth In 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The revelation of Jesus Christ reveals the future and tells us what God has planned and that what he has planned, he will accomplish. He will complete the work he started. He will cause believers to stand before him faultless before his throne. He will destroy the works of the devil and he will cast the devil into the lake of fire. He will bring to an end the times of the Gentiles and restore his people Israel to himself, and he will destroy all false religions that exist in the world today. Can he do it? Well, Isaiah tells us he can. In Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. One of the ways to look at the unfolding drama of redemption, the history of the world, and God's plan for the ages is by rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 says that. Today, we want to consider seven divisions that are described in the Scripture. We call those seven divisions dispensations. Um, And so I want to ask the question, what is a dispensation? The word dispensation can be illustrated by looking at someone who is in charge of a household. It could be a servant. It could be a father. Um, Are we? Oh, yeah, okay, never mind. Um, So it could be a father, it could be a servant. And how he manages that household under different circumstances. 
So dispensations are a lot like a household. On the diagram here, uh, you see a household. So when I was a single man, the way I conducted myself in my household is quite different than the way I manage my home as a husband and wife, as a married couple. I think uh, Nat and Nikki are beginning to understand that. Things are different now that they're married. And so it's managed differently than um, when you have a husband and a wife and a couple of little uh, toddlers kicking around in the house. Everything now needs to be childproof. You start doing things in a different way. A household uh, is different when you have a household with parents and children um, and a lot of children. When you have six, seven, or more kids, things are different than when you only had one baby. A household is managed differently when you have a household with children and with an elderly parent. They, I think they call it a sandwich generation. You know, you're sandwiched between your kids and your parents, and you're trying to deal with both. And they're very similar in many ways, you know. And a household is different. It's managed differently as a couple becomes empty nesters and the kids and the grandparents are all gone and you're all by yourself again and you're looking at each other and go, where did the time go? What happened? It's the same household throughout that history of the household, but each change represents a different dispensation in the household, a different way of managing the household. Dispensations are also like differences in administration. The word can be described as an administration during different times in history. So, for example, the United States of America is one nation under God. And that started July 4th, 1776. The USA promotes certain unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those rights continue throughout the history of the United States, no matter what administration is in power. Those rights were there for the Lincoln administration, the Kennedy administration, the Clinton, the Trump, the Biden, and whoever comes next. It's all the same. Now, the way they run the country is different. So there's different administrations, and the method um, that they employ in, in dealing with the country is different, but those rights remain the same. And so dispensations are kind of like different administrations as well. Now, when it comes to dispensations, not all Christians agree um, with the number of dispensations. Some theologians believe there are only three, while others think that there are as many as 37. We're going to stick with seven. And so I want to just show you briefly that we believe that it's easy to distinguish or to demonstrate there, there are at least two dispensations. Um, so if you get the slide up, there we go. Okay, so you have one dispensation of law and one dispensation of grace or the church age. And the Bible says this very clearly, John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Our Bibles are neatly divided into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament, indicating that there was a change of administration between the Old and, and the New. God's method of dealing with, his, with people is different. And it's different today. We are in the church age. It's different for us than it was for the Old Testament believers under the law. Now, today, we don't come here and offer sacrifices of animals. We don't follow the Old Testament ceremonial laws um, because the Bible tells us you are not under law, but under grace, Romans 6. 14. What caused the difference? And in the picture there, you notice that we've added a cross. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again the third day. And that changed everything. The law demanded death for sin. And Jesus satisfied the law's demand 
and died for my sins and your sins. And he rose again from the dead, thus defeating um, the law's death sentence. And the message today goes out, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So there are two very easily shown uh, distinct or divisions or dispensations in the Scripture. But if there are two, there has to be at least three, because the written law was not given until Exodus 19, 20, 21, hundreds of years after creation. So there must have been a dispensation before the law. So instead of going backwards, let's just start at the beginning. And let's take a look at the first dispensation that we believe existed. And that is the dispensation of innocence. Now you can look at your paper and you can start writing. We, we left the names of the dispensations out. So just add them to it and follow along um, with me here. So the first one is the dispensation of innocence. Adam and Eve were created and they were placed in the Garden of Eden. Initially, they had no sin. They walked with God, it says, in the cool of the day. And they had um, a relationship with God. They had fellowship with Him. They lived in a perfect environment with only one rule. And that rule was there was a tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we know what happened. Satan tempted them. They disobeyed God. They fell into sin. They ate of the fruit. <clears throat> and the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered, into, entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. And so on that day, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they died. And you say, well, no, they were standing upright still, and they lived quite a few more years after. No, they died. So as we've said many times before, death always means separation. So when we, have the phys when we die physically, our soul and our spirit are physically separated from our body. Our body remains, but our spirit and our soul live on. Here, death included physical death, but that would come later. But the day they ate the fruit, they died spiritually. What does that mean? They, they, they immediately, their relationship with God was separated. They no longer had a relationship with God, and so they needed to be reconciled to God, brought back to God uh, into a right relationship with Him. Ultimately, they did die physically because the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And that is still true today. Every one of us inherited a sin nature from Adam. Do you know that when you were born, the Bible says that we were born dead? It says that. Born dead in our trespasses and sin. What does that mean? We were born not having a relationship with God. And so we can't go through life and say, oh, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven because I was born into a Christian family. It doesn't work that way. You can't say, I, I went to church. It doesn't work that day. You must be born again. That's what the scripture says. Why? Because we were born dead, separated from God. And we need to be born again that we might have a relationship with God. And that only comes through faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for us by dying for our sins and rising again the third day. Today, the world is in chaos because of sin. The Lord Jesus shed the blood, sorry, the Lord shed the blood of an innocent animal for Adam and Eve, demonstrating to them that he covered them with the animal skin after killing the animal, and it pointed to the fact that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. That was the illustration 
But that illustration was not that animals' blood would somehow save our souls, but that animal, that innocent victim, that innocent sacrifice pointed forward to the time when the Lord Jesus Christ would come as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't simply cover it, he takes it away. And so it pointed to a future deliverer. So this dispensation of innocence ended with the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. Why? Because they were no longer innocent. They were sinners. They now knew the difference between right and wrong. And so this brings us to the next dispensation. And we call this dispensation the dispensation of conscience. It lasted for about 1,656 years from the time when Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden until the flood. And so the time frame is basically Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, through chapter 8, verse 22. Have you ever heard people say, how do you live? They say, well, I just let conscience be my guide. I just let, it, I just let conscience be my guide. But conscience was their guide. And this period ended with God destroying the entire population of the world except for Noah and his family. Eight people. Eight souls were saved. And the entire rest of the world was destroyed by the flood. Every human being had a sin nature and practiced sin. Have you ever heard people say, man is basically good? No, he is not. Man is corrupt through and through. Man is not good, but is evil. And it says in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. The Bible says, so God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. This is what happens when you let conscience be your guide. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Salvation at this time and at every time in history is always the same. Salvation never changes. Salvation is by faith in what God has done or what God will do. And so it was by the, the, the uh, salvation of Noah and his family. I want you to be very careful in understanding this. It was by God's grace that Noah was saved. In fact, it says that in the scripture. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's the first time grace is mentioned in the scripture. We read in Hebrews 11 that Noah had faith in God's promises and he was declared righteous. This is what it says. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things yet not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. What that verse is saying is that Noah is declared to be righteous before God because he exercised faith in the God who would save him. That is true of us today. Salvation is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us on the cross. Next we come, after the flood, to the dispensation of human government. Eight souls were saved. This is a brand new start for the earth. 
Noah and his family are the only residents of planet Earth at this point. Did you know that Noah is your great, 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 great grandfather? I don't know how many greats there should be, but he is. He's your great grandfather of many times past. God now began a new test, a new way, a new dispensation. No longer would man be guided just by his conscience, but now he would be guided by human government. God promised at this time he would never destroy the earth again with a flood, and he put his rainbow in the sky as his promise, as a sign of his promise. Man would now rule over the animal kingdom and be permitted to kill animals for food. He could now eat meat, which he couldn't eat before. He was not allowed to. A new law came into place, and that was the law of capital punishment. And capital punishment has never been revoked by God's word. Capital punishment says, if man sheds blood, by man his blood shall be shed. In other words, if I kill somebody intentionally, I should be killed by the government under whose rule I exist. And that is God who set this up. Noah and his family were also instructed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But their descendants did not do that. Okay? Their descendants had a different idea, a better idea, they thought. And so under human government, where man was to be scattered over the face of the earth and governments were to arise and populate the earth, rather than doing that, they all congregated together. And they congregated together into a one world government. They built, they, they formed one city and one high tower. And about 325 years after the flood, the Lord came down and he confused their languages, or their language, I should say. It was one language at the time, so that they could not communicate with each other. The place is called Babel. We use the word babble when somebody is speaking incoherently, and, uh, but it comes from the same source. They spoke in languages that they didn't understand, and they go, you know, forget this. I'm not staying with you. I don't even understand what you're talking about. And the people that heard that didn't understand what they just said. And so they all scattered across the face of the earth, just like God told them to. But this explains to us, even to the present day, why we have hundreds of languages on the earth and hundreds of people groups scattered throughout the earth. It stems back from this. And this was the... Um, Frankly, it's, it's evidence of God's judgment that still exists to this day, the variety of cultures and peoples and languages. Now, it should be noted, I want to just say this at this point here, that uh, just because a dispensation ends or there's a, there's a new dispensation that begins, it, all, it doesn't always end in split-second precision. Okay? So there are side effects that continue on. We still have human governments, for example. Okay? But God's method of dealing with people changed, even if there were and are human governments. This is answered actually by another study. We've already done this study in the past, and we will actually look at it again in uh, probably a few months. Um, and it's going to look at human governments from King Nebuchadnezzar all the way through to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll touch on that later. I won't get into it today. The next is the dispensation of promise. God's dealing with mankind made a significant shift um, with the call of one man, Abraham. This dispensation includes God's promise to Abraham. And uh, if we re remember from Scripture, it says God took Abraham out one night and he looked at the stars. Luke, do you want to put up the next slide there? And as he looked at the stars, he said, I'm going to give you descendants as many of the stars that are in the heavens. And it says, Abraham was childless at the time, actually. And it says, Abraham believed God, 
and it was counted to him for righteousness. That is the same way of salvation all through history. Abraham believed God, just what God promised, and it was counted to him for righteousness. God made him or declared him righteous. Abraham was saved based on his faith in God's promise. The time of Abraham's call to the exodus of the Jews from Egypt is about 430 years. At that time, God called out a special people for himself during this dispensation. And uh, this nation that grew is the nation of Israel. And it was a nation for God to represent God before the other nations. And uh, it was separate from the Gentile nations. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. And it was as if God reached down from heaven with a test tube into the waters of humanity and he lifted out a test tube of water and called it Israel and said, okay, now I am going to test this nation. And whatever is true of this nation, as far as the way they respond to me under this dispensation, I can apply or or state the same would be true of all humanity. If the nation of Israel fails under God's dispensation, then we can conclude that all humanity would fail under the same dispensation. Israel was tested under the rule of theocracy, that is God ruling over a nation without human um, authority. God was to be their king, and if they followed him, they would be blessed above all nations on the earth. God also promised Abraham a son. He promised the inheritance of a specific swatch of land. He promised that Abraham's name would be great and that all the people of the earth would be blessed through him. Now, as you look at the promises God made to Abraham, some of the promises are only partially fulfilled. If that's the case, they must still be fulfilled, which means that Israel has a future and a hope. And I want to emphasize that because there are so many teachers on the radio and TV and through books that are teaching falsely that Israel was cast out forever and that she will never enjoy the the, the fulfillment of the promises of God. That is false. Israel has a future, and Israel has a hope yet to come. Israel must endure to the end. Frankly, it's one of the greatest evidences of the truth of God's word that Israel still exists to this day. God will not back out of his promises. He will complete what he has promised. So this is important to know As we move into the book of Revelation, Israel will rise again from the dust. She will become the head of nations. She will return to the Lord. There is a future and there is a hope for Israel, but not until, not before, I should say, the terrible time of tribulation. God did not transfer the earthly blessings of Israel to the church. That never happened. Israel, the Gentile nations, and the church are separate and distinct bodies of people. Unlike Calvinist teachers and covenant theologians, we believe that God will fulfill his promise to the nation of Israel. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. The scripture says, he has blessed and I cannot reverse it. God will fulfill his promises. You can bank on that. Next, we come to the dispensation of law. In John chapter 1, verse 17, it says, the law was given through Moses. This dispensation lasted nearly 1,500 years from Sinai, to Calvary. 
The law was given to the Jewish nation in Exodus 19 through 23. And Israel, that test tube nation, did they succeed? Did they come out pure in the testing of that water that God took out from the nations? No, they did not. They failed the test miserably. They disobeyed the law. They disobeyed God. They lost the promised land, and they were taken into captivity. For those who think that the Old Testament law can save them, you're wrong. All the law does is condemn you. That is the purpose of the law, to show us how we have fallen short of the glory of God. We are not righteous before God by our own doing. You can't live good enough to be made right with God. But by the law comes the knowledge of sin. The Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. He was sinless, and he died for the sin of the world. The law is also described as a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. The law cannot save us, but it points to the one who can, the Lord Jesus Christ. During the tribulation period, there will be a revival of the law that will extend into the millennium with some modifications. Sacrifices will be offered again, but they will not be for our sin, but rather they will be a, a, an emblem, something like the Lord's Supper, where we look back to what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished by his one perfect sacrifice for our sins, the finished work of Christ. Next, we come to the dispensation of grace, or the church age, as it is sometimes called. The church age began after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. That is the beginning of the church age. And it will continue until the rapture of the church. This dispensation fits precisely between the 69th week and the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verse 4. We're going to look at that in the future, but if you want to just circle that reference, um, put it down and look at it, you'll see that, there was the, that during that prophecy, God stopped the clock. And for over 2,000 years, that clock has remained stopped in his dealings with Israel. And the church age, this is that dispensation that we're in right now. But that day is coming very quickly to a close. That, this dispensation will, will soon come to an end. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes into the clouds and calls us home to be with him, that dispensation will be over and God will start the clock again. There's seven more years left and that's the years of the tribulation period. Today, the church is comprised of all believers, Jews and Gentiles, from Pentecost to the rapture. The church is seen on earth in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3. But then there is an abrupt change in the book of Revelation in chapter 4. No longer do we see what is going on on earth because the church is no longer on the earth starting in chapter 4. And between the end, of, the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, the rapture takes place. And we are captured up into the clouds to be with the Lord forever. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, the scripture says. And so the church is absent. We'll look more again at that um, when we get into the detail of the book of Revelation. Now again, I want to emphasize this. The way of salvation is always the same, and it has been the same throughout, throughout human history. From Adam to the coming of Jesus Christ, people trusted in the Lord for salvation based on what he would do to take away sin. As I mentioned, those in the Old Testament up till the time of Christ looked forward to the time when Christ would die on the cross. They didn't know his name, but the, the Bible still tells us 
uh, that the Lord, the Lord says that He alone is the Savior. So they knew from the promises of the Old Testament that God would provide a deliverer, a Savior. So Christ died on the cross. We're past that. We look back at that accomplishment, His finished work um, on the cross. And Jesus Christ alone is Savior. The object of salvation is the same, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is our Savior. So we are in the dispensation of grace. We are in the church age right now. And the next event in prophetic history uh, is, or the prophetic calendar, is the rapture of the church. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Are you looking forward to that day? And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The church will not go through the tribulation. I can't emphasize that enough. I've already said that a few weeks ago when we were looking at the last chapter of uh, 2 Peter. And it says in the Bible, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. While we are safely in heaven, the earth will undergo a seven-year tribulation period. And it's, it's described for us in the book of Revelation and also in um, Matthew, Matthew's gospel and other places too. And we'll look at that in detail. So finally, after the tribulation period, that is a seven-year period where God, as I mentioned, starts the clock with Israel all over again and fulfills that last week of Daniel's prophecy, the 70th week, seven weeks of years, seven years, and God will work uh, in, in sort of that dispensational law period with the, with the nation of Israel, and he will be accomplishing his purposes to draw Israel back to himself to reconcile Israel to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom they rejected. Next, we come to the dispensation of the millennial kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 5, we read about the age to come, and it refers to the millennium, and it's described in Revelation eleven fifteen. 15, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Paul writes that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, Jesus might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. His rule will begin at the end of the tribulation when he returns to the earth, not to the air, to the earth, as King of kings and Lord of lords with his saints. He is coming again to destroy his enemies. Enoch prophesied, the seventh from Adam, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes to the earth, he will bind our greatest enemy, and that is Satan himself. He will be bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And Jesus will reign in Jerusalem, the capital city of the world, for a thousand years with the righteous survivors of the tribulation period. Of the Lord Jesus and his reign, it is written. Now, most of the time when we go to this passage, it's at Christmas time. And we say, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. That's his first coming. But the second coming is described in that same passage, and it says this. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, 
Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Then in Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At that time, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And the Old Testament saints will be resurrected. And finally, the Jews will inherit all of the land that was promised to them through the Abrahamic covenant. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Have you come to the place in your own life where you can recognize those words are speaking about your sin? I will forgive their iniquity. That is the promise. That is the offer that the Lord Jesus Christ is making to you this morning if you don't know him. That if you trust in him, he says, I will forgive your iniquity and your sins I will remember no more. Let's praise him. Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you and praise you and adore you for who you are. We thank you that you have made promises in the scripture that are true and amen. We thank you that none of your promises will fail. We thank you that you have promised that you will come again to, to gather us to be with you forever. We thank you that you came the first time to die on the cross for our sins. You came to be our Savior and our Lord. And we want, Lord, everyone here today and everyone listening to these words to trust you as Lord and Savior. But we look forward to that day as believers to your coming to take us home to be with you. We look forward to that day when you will defeat your enemies and destroy everything that is against God. And we pray, Lord, that it might be soon. We pray that you would come, Lord Jesus, reign over us, reign in our hearts today, Lord, but reign over us, uh, establish your kingdom as you have promised, that the Lord Jesus Christ might be honored and glorified and praised. We ask it in his name. Amen.